morning will come from the first letter of Paul and Silas and Timothy to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'll be preaching from uh, verses 14 through 22. Um, To give us a little context, I'll begin reading back at verse 12. Um, You can find this on page 987 in your pew Bibles, but again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, for your word to us. We thank you that it is your holy and divinely inspired word. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Lord, um, we, we know that we are sojourners on the earth, so we ask that you hide not your commandments from us, Lord. May our souls, Lord, be consumed with longing for your law at all times. Lord, may your testimonies be our delight. May they be our counselors, Lord. And as we uh, open your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you would, uh, Lord, bring to light the things that we need to, to know and to see. And uh, Lord, would, we, would our hearts be changed, Lord, because of your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As most of you know, I uh, do coach football at Opelousas Junior High, and I'm a, also an assistant coach with, with Opelousas High, and uh, this season, Opelousas High has made quite a run in the playoffs, and we're just coming off our sem- semifinal win against North De- DeSoto on Friday night, and we will pr- play this coming Friday in the Superdome for the Division II State Championship. And as a coach, while the X's and O's of the game are important, there are also some complex dynamics Uh, among the team that have to be right if we're going to be successful. Uh, Coaches and team leaders have to set the tone for the expectations and the standards of conduct for members of the team that will best enable us to meet those goals and um, to to achieve. Uh, Coaches have to find a way to motivate and inspire our players so that they buy in, they give their all towards those goals. And our student athletes at OHS have bought in and they've sacrificed much having endured many hours of practice and off-season preparation Uh, Many have played through the pain of injuries. Uh, And then there are the dynamics of interpersonal relationships among the team. Uh, It's easy for players to get jealous of of other players and question why somebody else gets the playing time or the carries or the targets instead of them. And then there's the influence and sometimes interference of parents and community members to deal with. And I won't get caught up in the details, but uh, there are many moving parts to manage. So it's no small accomplishment that our team at OHS has made it to the finals this week and I tip my hat to our head coach, Coach Zachary, who's done an excellent job at managing the challenging dynamics of uniting our team around that common goal. And just as a sports team needs that guidance on how they treat each other and what attitudes they exhibit and how, they're, how they play the game, in the church, 
we have similar dynamics that need our attention. And our passage this morning addresses how we should live and behave and what attitudes we should have as the body of Christ, as the church. And I'll address it this morning in three parts. First, in verses 14 and 15, how we interact with each other. And then in verses 16 through 18, what attitudes we should have. And we'll close with verses 19 through 22 on how we worship the Lord. So we'll begin in verses 14 and 15 in how we interact with each other. Uh, If you recall, I preached back in October from verses 12 and 13 on uh, Paul's final instructions, which begin uh, with reminders to respect and esteem the pastors and elders who hold an office of authority in the church. And these men are ordained and set apart by God himself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. And these pastors and elders have a responsibility and a duty to labor among the people and to admonish them. But as we continue reading in verse 14, the elders are not the only individuals who are to admonish. We see that the brothers, the brethren, the everyday Christians are to first, in verse 14, admonish the idol. Uh, Christians should not leave the work of ministering entirely to their spiritual leaders. Uh, Leaders should be equipping members to to join them in the work of ministry. And we see in verse 14, who should be admonished? Uh, Our English Standard Version says the idol. Uh, In different Bible translations, you'll see different words uh, used in the translation there. Um, Some translations use the word lazy. Um, The King James and the New American Standard use unruly. Um, The New English uses undisciplined. The NIV calls them idle and disruptive. Uh, In the original, the Greek word is used to refer to soldiers who are not keeping ranks. Uh, These people may fall behind because they're unmotivated, being idle or lazy, or they may get out of line because they lack discipline. They're unruly, they're disorderly, or they're disruptive. Uh, We know if an army battalion does not march in step and if every member of the ranks does not do their duty, that that group would be very ineffective in battle and would be prone to take heavy losses, even loss of life. And applying these same ideas to the church, we must admonish those who are neglecting their Christian duties by idleness or laziness, and we should also admonish any Christians who are unruly or who, who are causing unnecessary disruptions in the church. Matthew Henry says, uh, Such should be reproved for their sin, warned of their danger, and told plainly, of the injury they do to their own souls and the hurt they may do to others. And to put the shoe on the other foot for a moment, as Christians, we should be ready to receive such admonishment when our behavior merits it. Uh, Psalm 141, uh, verse 5 says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. We know that our Lord disciplines us, much as a father Uh, disciplines his children out of love. Uh, And similarly, we should receive the loving admonishment of our fellow Christians. Next, in verse 14, we are instructed to encourage the faint-hearted. The word translated faint-hearted there is literally small-souled or Uh, small-spirited. These saints may be discouraged or sorrowful. They may be uh, lacking courage to face difficulties. They may be disheartened by loss or afflicted with disease. And our response to these people should be to encourage them, to comfort them, to come alongside them with a kind word or a thoughtful deed and encourage them to continue on and fight the good fight to the finish. 
Uh, We've all been in situations where a word of encouragement, however small a thing it may have seemed, uh, proved to be exactly what, what was needed in that moment. And closely related to this, verse 14 tells us to help the weak. First know that if you are feeling weak, uh, there is a place for you in the church. Uh, If we are honest with ourselves, uh, we all must admit our weakness in many areas of the faith. Uh, So do not feel discouraged in your weakness. Our Lord told uh, the Apostle Paul that his power is made perfect in weakness. But instead, we should be encouraged that we do have brothers and sisters in Christ who can help us through our times of struggle and weakness. And for the stronger brother or sister, there's a proper spirit of encouragement and help. Uh, we should not be interfering from a position of superiority. Instead, we, we practice a mutual spirit of love and care within the fellowship of believers. Indeed, we should consider it an honor and a privilege to help a weaker brother in Christ. And how should we do all of these things? Uh, with patience. Verse 14 tells us to be patient with them all. We know patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And the best word we have uh, for patience is, uh, is long-suffering, uh, which pictures the patient endurance needed uh, to correct the disobedient and to encourage and help the weak. Uh, and we look first to God, who is long-suffering with us, as he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and from whom the fruit of the Spirit comes. Uh, there is not a one-size-fits-all method to dealing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must use discernment as we consider those in our lives. Are they idle? Are they unruly? Are they faint-hearted or weak? And our answers to those questions will determine our response. Do we admonish sternly or do we encourage and help? Uh, We must exercise patience to ensure we respond properly. And for for me, that often means that I can't respond immediately, uh, especially if someone's behavior doesn't meet my approval. And verse 15 continues in how we respond uh, when wronged. Uh, It says we do good. Um, It's natural for us to seek retribution when we are wronged. But this is the way of the world. When one is wounded, he looks for any way he can to get back at the offender. But scripture is clear. Vengeance is the Lord's. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, make it very clear. It says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This doctrine here is, is one that is unique to Christianity, to patiently endure injury and wrong. Uh, we should, as Christians, be quick to forgive. We remember our Lord's Prayer, which we just prayed together. Uh, we ask that God forgive us as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And we not only do not retaliate, but we cultivate a spirit of doing good to all, not only to one another in the, in the church, but to everyone, even those who are undeserving. We do as Romans twelve twenty one tells us. We overcome evil with good. By first, not repaying others for their injuries, but second, by treating even enemies, even those who wrong us uh, well. 
Augustine, in his confessions, tells the story of his conversion to Christianity. Uh, One of the most significant and transformative events in that story is his meeting of the Bishop Ambrose. And Augustine says of Pastor Ambrose, I came to love him, not at first as a teacher of the truth, which I had utterly despaired of finding in your church, but for his kindness toward me. Pastor Ambrose was a skilled and eloquent preacher, but it was not his preaching that Augustine recognized. It was his kindness. And Pastor Ambrose became a mentor and a spiritual father to Augustine, and their relationship allowed God's word to have more of an impact on Augustine. And when we look up and down the aisles and across the pews, who do you see? Hopefully you see brothers and sisters in Christ, and your hearts reject at, a part, at being a part of this family, and you seek to do good uh, to all the brethren. And when a visitor walks into our midst, uh, who do you see? Uh, no matter what they look like, hopefully you see a man or woman made in the image and likeness of God. And like Ambrose did for Augustine, we seek to do good for them. And that begins with greeting them warmly, welcoming them, asking questions, getting to know them, inviting them to sit with you, or maybe meeting up for coffee or lunch. Uh, It's my own personal testimony that when I moved here in 2006 and began attending this church, I was welcomed warmly. And for the most part of a year, I didn't have to worry about what I would do Sunday after church because week after week, one of you was inviting me over for for lunch. Um, And it was And though I was very different um, from a much different part of the the country um, and was still adapting to Southern and Cajun culture, and some of you might call it culture shock, I was received warmly and well-fed, certainly, and felt loved and cared for. And I praise God that we we still do this. But let me exhort you, as Paul did the Galatians in Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, if we reap, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Hope Church, let us continue on in love for one another and to do good for one another and for everyone. Let us be prepared and always looking for ways to do good to our neighbors in Opelousas. And what should motivate us to do good to our fellow Christians and to everyone? Uh, Dr. Leon Morris says, Our Master, for our salvation, patiently endured the insults and injuries of wicked men. The just died for the unjust. This is our example. So we are to admonish the idle, help the faint-hearted, patiently help the weak, and not seek to retaliate when sinned. Uh, These are important commands in, in how we relate to one another, and they cannot be accomplished begrudgingly or resentfully. As we read on in verses 16 through 18, we find that the attitude Uh, with which we do these things, is also a matter of obedience to the Lord. Our attitude is, or it should be at least, the result of our status as Christians, as we are in Christ. Uh, These are three marks of the believer given to us in verses 16 through 18, and they are universal attributes that should mark believers without exception, as the superlatives used in verse 16 through 18 indicate, that we always do these things without ceasing and in everything. The first command is to rejoice always in verse 14. It's natural to rejoice when things go well, but the Christian life produces a joy that is not dependent on circumstances. Our joy comes from being in Christ. Uh, This is not merely happiness. We can actually be joyful in all circumstances. Uh, Paul described this sentiment to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 10. 
He says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. As Christians, we have a great salvation, one that cannot be taken from us. And so though we go through highs and lows, peaks and valleys in the Christian life, we can have a constant, steady joy in the God of our salvation. How can we have this joy? Well, here's one way. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Dr. Leon Morris says, Christianity turns men's thoughts away from themselves and their puny deeds to the great God who has wrought a stupendous salvation for them in Christ our Savior. All along the way, we are meant to feel our own insufficiency, both our inability to bring about our own salvation without Christ and our day-to-day and to day-to-day live out the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're to pray without ceasing. Been much discussion about what exactly that means, but here's uh, what I've learned about it. It means we're not always speaking words of prayer, but always living in the spirit of prayer. Matthew Henry says, The meaning is not that men should do nothing but pray, but that nothing else we do should hinder prayer in its proper season. Uh, As we read the New Testament, Paul interjects prayers throughout his letters. And prayer should be something that's as natural to us as as breathing. Uh, Pastor Eric Alexander uses the analogy of a mirror in describing this verse. He says, when we encounter blessings, we reflect our praise to God. And when we come upon difficult circumstances, we reflect our anxieties and petitions and cares to the Lord. This is how we pray without ceasing, by turning over everything that happens to the Lord, having confidence that nothing happens that is outside God's will. Verse 18 says to give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, These are not three separate commands. They're all closely related. Philippians 4 and 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. A worldly man goes through life, yes, perhaps thankful for the things that make him happy, but then complaining when circumstances turn against him. Dr. Leon Morris again says, but the Christian realizes all the good and bad things that happen are God's purposes being worked out. When he comes to see God's hand in all things, he learns to give thanks for all things. Tribulation is unpleasant, but he recognizes that the Father who loves him has permitted that tribulation only in order that his wise and merciful purpose might be worked out. Verse 18 also tells us that this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus to give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, We remember from 1 Thessalonians, back in in chapter 4, verse 3, uh, it read that, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So again, our sanctification should produce in us rejoicing, continual prayer, and thankfulness in all circumstances. You might say, that all sounds great, preacher, but how can I really experience this? How can I really get from A to B? And as we move into the final section of this passage, verses 19 through 22, uh, we can see that these attitudes can be instilled in us as we worship the Lord, verses 19 through 22. Verse 19 begins, do not quench the spirit. God's spirit is often symbolized in the Bible as, as fire. We think of Moses and the burning bush. 
We think of God's covenant with, with Abraham, where God appeared as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch and passed between the, the two halves of the carcasses. And we think of the New Testament at Pentecost in Acts 2 verse 3. Say, it says, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them as the Holy Spirit uh, came down. So while, there is, while the fire is from God and only the Spirit can create that fire burning us, uh, we yet have a responsibility to create an environment in which it can burn brightly. Yet a flame can be extinguished when it's ignored and no longer tended to. To quench means to, uh, putting out, to put out a flame. Uh, we can put out a fire by applying some substance to it that's not conducive to burning, or we can smother it uh, by denying it fuel or oxygen. So how then can we, can we quench the Holy Spirit? Um, it may be that we have doubts, we have indifference to God, or we can be distracted by the cares of the world. We can have unbelief or fear. Uh, we may just be going through the motions in our Christian walk. Uh, Matthew Henry says, As fire is put out by withdrawing fuel... So we quench the spirit if we do not stir up our spirits and all that is within us to comply with the motions of the good spirit. And as fire is quenched by pouring water or putting a great quantity of dirt upon it, so we must be careful not to quench the Holy Spirit by indulging carnal lusts and affections or minding only earthly things. Chrysostom says an unclean life quenches that fire. So does apathy and indifference. And sin is like water poured on the flame of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, there is no fellowship between light and darkness. Um, the Holy Spirit left King Saul, and we should take that as a warning. This, this verse, do not quench the Spirit, has also been used to justify much foolishness in the church. Uh, some of us have, have visited or even been a part of more charismatic churches where there are frequent outbursts or running up and down the aisles and if questioned about these practices, many of them say, well, the Bible says, do not quench the spirit. But let's be clear here. There is a spirit that should be quenched, the spirit of our human nature. The spirit in verse 19 that we are instructed not to quench is the Holy Spirit of God. And one of the ways we do that is verse 20. It says, do not despise prophecy. Prophecy, we often think of as foretelling the future, as, as God has done through his prophets throughout Scripture. Uh, but a prophecy is thought of as the science of interpreting Scripture and interpreting God's will. Um, the word prophecy is used in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. It says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And Pastor Albert Martin says the present extension of prophecy in the church is preaching, the spirit-anointed exposition and application of the written word of God. And to despise something means to make it of no account or to treat it with contempt or mockery. It's actually the word used of our Lord in Luke 22, verse 11. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated Christ with contempt and mocked him. Uh, we can think of prophecy or preaching as not worthy of our consideration. And I'll confess to you that there are some Sundays well, where, uh, while I'm physically present here, many times my spirit is just not ready to hear or receive the word of God. And in a sense, I am despising prophecy. This ought not to be. The preaching of God's word should be regarded with high esteem. We should treasure it. 
Uh, God's truth is the primary tool he uses for the growth and edification of his people. Uh, If we despise prophecy or preaching, then we deprive ourselves of one of the most important means of grace that God uses to sanctify us, which we know from chapter 3 is God's will for us. Uh, We should come to church every week expecting God to give us what we need from his word, and to ensure we're ready to receive it, we must prepare ourselves for worship, spending time in prayer and the word, ensuring that our hearts are ready to hear from the Lord. And as we hear the word preached, verse 21 tells us uh, what we should be doing. It says to test everything and hold fast what is good. In the context, we'll take everything to mean all prophecy. It is our duty as Christians to test all preaching against what has been revealed in the remainder of biblical teaching on, the, on that subject. Uh, prophecy is, that is inconsistent with the Lord's previous revelation in Scripture should be rejected. But when preaching has been tested and found to withstand the test of Scripture, verse 21 tells us we should hold fast to it. We, will not, we should not half-heartedly embrace solid biblical teaching. We should hold firmly to good prophecy. We shouldn't simply acknowledge solid teaching and then go about our lives. Instead, we must embrace it and live it out. If we hold fast to this teaching, it should change the way we live. And when we hold fast to true, tested teaching, it should conform our character and our conduct to Christ. And we will, as verse 22 says, abstain from every form of evil. Again, Paul and Silas and Timothy warn us and remind us to abstain from evil. Why would they need to to include this? As long as we're in this life, we all battle against our sinful nature. In our flesh, we are sons of our first father, Adam, and are prone to sin. But since we are in Christ, we are sons of God, and we have the Holy Spirit's enabling power to resist evil and hold fast to what is good. Matthew Henry says, Corrupt affections indulged in the heart and evil practices allowed in life will tend to promote fatal errors in the mind, whereas purity of heart and integrity of life will dispose men to receive the truth in the love of it. It's tempting to think that we can keep our theology, our understanding of God and our knowledge of God, and our praxeology, our behavior, and our actions separate. And it is possible to have a knowledge of God without a life of obedience, Uh, James 2.19 reminds us that a right belief of God on its own is insufficient. Um, James says this, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. But brothers and sisters, Jesus tells tells us if we love him, we will keep his commandments. True faith produces works of faith, not to earn salvation, but because Jesus' work on the cross and in our hearts has caused us to forsake our evil ways and turn completely to him. Maybe this morning you're looking for the joy and thanksgiving that 1 Thessalonians 5 has described. Uh, Maybe you want to know how to abstain from evil and hold fast what is good. Uh, Brothers and sisters, these are the fruit of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, who is God-made flesh, who lived the life of obedience that we all have failed to live. Uh, Jesus, indeed, held fast to what is good and abstained from every form of evil. And though we all deserve death because of our sins, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, offered himself up on the cross as our sacrifice for sin. 
And Jesus is worthy because he was slain, and by his blood he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And he has made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's Revelation chapter 5. If you want to learn more about what it means to be saved or have faith in Jesus, I invite you to speak with me or one of the elders after the service. We would love to talk with you and pray with you. And let us pray right now. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your message to us this morning. Lord, we thank you that you have given us guidance, Lord, through your word, how we should behave as a community, Lord, and how we should live with one another. Father, we ask and pray, Lord, that you would help us to be patient with one another as we Um, admonish those that are idle or unruly, that we uh, be patient with the weak and the disheartened. Father, we pray that you would, Lord, change our attitudes, Lord, that we might not quench the spirit, that we might give thanks in all circumstances, that we may, Lord, take your teaching and test it and approve what is good and hold fast to it, Lord. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us this guidance and instruction from your word, and we Ask, Lord, that you would apply it to our lives. Lord, help us to live differently in light of what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.